The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink. And uh, I'm sitting here with uh, my friend Clayton Stroop. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, very, very nice for you to join us today. It's actually awesome. Thanks, buddy. Bing. Bing. So uh, uh, Clayton is a singer and songwriter from uh, a group called City Wolf. Yes, sir. And uh, born in Fremont, California. Yes, sir. Lives in Rockland, California. Yes, sir. And uh, married to a beautiful woman named Jenna. Yep. What, what's the name of her photography studio? Uh, Jaybird Photography. J-A-E Photography. Yeah. So we have beautiful pictures on our wall of a seven-day-old Johnny. Yep. And they are freaking awesome. So if somebody wants some great pictures of family, kids, mostly kids, right? She, yeah, it's mostly, mostly newborn, but she does like maternity. Um, she doesn't do weddings anymore, but, uh, you know, maternity family and, and babies, babies are like her, her forte. I bet your weddings are the biggest pain in the ass ever. You know what? She, she did a few in the beginning and, and yeah, she said she doesn't like the, she doesn't like the pressure. And, um, and I, I, I think with the babies, people are in such a, like a glow honeymoon period that they just kind of let her do her thing and her artistry and stuff. But with weddings, it's like, you know, they know what they want and, and, you know, they're like, we're only gonna be married for a few years. So we need to get this yeah, right. This is gonna, this isn't gonna <laughs> last long. So make us look good. <laughs> so I got this picture with Johnny and seven days old. He's like sitting in my hand. I'm just thinking the whole time, this kid's going to crap right in my hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes but, those sh those shots are are epic, though. That's know? the coolest picture I've ever seen. It's awesome. Probably the funny. Well, not funny. I just thought it was an interesting choice. She somebody um, wanted. They had a, a Donald Trump. It was a it was a bust of Donald Trump um, as a beer tap, and they the baby was laying in this. She wraps him up, you know, like a little pee in a pot, and he was holding the the beer tap. With Donald, you know, and she's just editing it. She's like, well, you know, this is what they wanted, you know. Whatever. <laughs> So then, uh, son Jeffrey, yep, ten years old, yep, Presley, yep, six years old, ooh, yep, and Parker, four, four. I lose, I lose track. It's I, a busy and household, I, and I lose count. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were talking earlier. How in the hell are you dealing with all of the COVID teaching and schooling and all that kind oh, of stuff? Um, the most difficult aspect is probably the the 1,000 emails a week that I get from the various teachers, uh, login instructions, Zoom, Google Classroom. Um, now, I guess it depends on what county you're in, but now they're they're hybrid. So it's like they're home half the time and at school the other half. And it's almost more complicated now than when they were just at home. But So uh, they have to go to school part of the time? Yeah. And yeah. stay home part of the time. Right. And these, and it's just, it is kind of eerie. Like you go by an elementary school, seeing all these little like seven-year-olds running around wearing masks, playing dodgeball. It's just, it's just, it's just it looks, it's this apocalyptic vibe to it. That's weird. But I, I was thinking early on when it first happened is I don't know what, what the hell some people are doing 
when I was a kid, both my parents worked. So yeah. we just would have been SOL. There would have been, <laughs> there would have been, I would have got to skip fourth grade. You know? <laughs> well, I was just thinking about when you're talking about uh, having a mask on while playing dodgeball. I've got a, a cartoon of a dodgeball just smashing a kid in the side of the face that somebody else just threw with their hand. Yeah. And that's not going to get anybody sick. No, no. Well, that's the other thing, too. A lot of the, the rules, I mean, I feel like they're doing the best they can, but a lot of the stuff, you see the rules that they send home, do this, don't do that, and it's this stuff contradicts each other, and it's like... And these are kids. Well, kids are all picking their nose and eating their boogers anyway. <laughs> what, if the, what if that's the cure? <laughs> <laughs> We realized that a daily diet of large boogers. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the the intro music that you guys just Great heard song. Is, Powerful uh, song. Yeah, it's by... It, the, the voice sounds familiar. Sure. And uh, that's actually a, a great song uh, by City Wolf. Yep. And uh, by Clayton here. So we appreciate you letting us use that. Anytime. I have an interesting story behind that song I, that I don't even know if you know. What is it? So I'm sure we'll get in, we can get into it. But um, so I, I write these uh, for uh, licensing primarily. I have a um, work with a few companies in LA, and um, they reached out to me and the and the producer, and um, they said that the Men in Black three. That was the last one that came out, I think. And then there was a girl, was, she was one of the people. Uh, Men in Black 3 was coming out in, the release in China was coming out and they wanted a trailer song for the release in China. So that's what, we, what, we, what I wrote it for. And they, you know, they said, we want to rap in it. You know, they, it's called a brief in the licensing world. You know, they'll, they'll give you a brief. And it's like, okay, we, we want these aspects. Sometimes it pigeonholes you, you know, and you're like, nope. We've got to say Coca-Cola, you know, whatever. And then sometimes it's so vague that it's almost, you know, like, what are they really looking for? But this one was pretty clear. So we did the rap, you know, had the melodic part. If you listen to the bridge part, I say, uh, I talk about having black shades on, okay, protector. Yeah. We thought it was perfect. And, um, but they didn't like it for whatever reason. So I just released it as City Wolf and there you go. It's a great song and those guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I ever see a movie over there. <laughs> so, who are you working with on that record? Um, it's just me and one other guy. Uh, uh, the Under is his uh, his producer name. Really nice guy named Trevor. Um, he was the first producer that I started cl uh, working with when I kind of went down this particular route in, in music and. Um, you know, we just me and him. And, you know, nowadays, as long as, you know, if somebody can play between two people, if one person can sing, one person can kind of play piano and one person can play guitar, you can, you know, you can pretty much do everything. Even if you don't know how to play piano, you know, there's programs. You just tell it pro the progression and everything. So we basically cheated. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that going on today. <laughs> um, luckily, you've got an amazing voice. So. Uh, there's no cheating on that. Um, so you and I have known each other for a few years. Yeah. And we're going to be very honest about it here. You and I both met in a 12-step recovery program. We did. And uh, We did. You took me under your wing well, and said, come here, son. I saved, uh, I, I saved my life. 
by being in that program. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be dead. There'd be no podcast today. Sure. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll talk more about that. Um, tell me about your childhood. I mean, um, you know, I, childhood was pretty normal. You know, I was kind of just very middle class family. Did you grow up in Fremont? Yeah, Fremont. Beautiful Fremont. Uh, uh, both parents worked, you know. Uh, and I, I think most of the music stuff I really got from my dad. Um, I can remember because he's pretty OCD. Uh, him cleaning the house on Saturday mornings. So like the smell of like Pine Sol and like Led Zeppelin combined. Pine Zeppelin. Yeah. Because he would, he just got up and was, you know cleaning, and then we had this was record player, and he'd put the record on, and then lean the album up against the big the speaker cabinet. So, um, that's really you know Foreigner, Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, uh, Boston, Bad Company, you know that era, you know, um, which is also kind of formed by impression of how you sing, right? Um, I can hear a lot of uh, Foreigner. Yeah. I mean, Lou Graham, I can can hear that in your voice a lot when you're singing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's tough. A lot of singing now with, if it's like indie or alternative, it's almost like anti-singing. Like, you you know, which was like the strokes or like the killers, like almost off, almost a little out of tune at a time. Well, I guess the cars were, (coughs) cars were a little, a little like that. Yeah, um, they had that little bit of uh, Rick, punk influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was—I I always really felt like you needed, you know, you, you're the front man, you know, belted out, you know. So the genre stuff I'm doing now it is appropriate, you know, it, it, it works. So, um, so did you play any instruments? I can play guitar. I can't. I cannot sing and play guitar at the same time. Oh, I can to write something. Can you chew gum? No. And walk? Yeah. No. Uh, one one will suffer if I <laughs> if I try <laughs> if I try and do that. But I mean, I can like I, I can sing to write something. You, usually, I just find the root. I just I will write as if I'm playing a bass. I just yeah. you know I don't care. I just you know. Well, you and I have known each other for a while. I play drums, but every time I pick up a guitar. Um, nothing good happens. Yeah, it's, but you, but see, you can sing and play drums at the same time. It took me a long, long time to do it. And it's because I grew up in a really small town and nobody else played music. So it's either yeah, yeah, you get to. out there and do it so yourself. So when you started, you had like the, the bass drum on your back and you were like, <laughs> I had the cymbals between my legs. Yeah. Crash. Yeah, but I've seen you play. You're not playing no Don Henley drums. Like you, you're like legit. No, I, I, one of the hardest ones that I ever, uh, hardest songs that I ever learned to play and sing at the same time was uh, Sober by Tool. And it's like, it, it's so many different rhythms going on at the same time while you're singing. I mean, it took me yeah. months to get it done. And when it's, once I was done, I can still do it to this day because the muscle memory is just there, you know, and it well, just that's it, why, uh, it won't go away. What's his name? Danny Carey. Oh, my God. That's why he doesn't sing. <laughs> no way! Son, good luck. Yeah, and sober is one of the only tool songs I can play. Well, do they they don't change time signatures in that one, right? No, no. Yeah, it's straightforward. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. So, um, who are your favorite singers? Oh man, I mean, I guess I would just have to refer back to the the list I gave earlier. I mean, it was like you know, yeah, Lou Graham. 
Paul Rogers. Bad company. Um, you know, maybe Paul Rogers, because I can I can hang note for note through a bad company song. Depending on which Led Zeppelin where you're at, or or even Journey, I can kind of start and then I gotta stop, you know, and yeah. take some and <laughs> take some breaks. Although I found out that I think was it on Houses of the Holy, they sped a lot of that up. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't really singing that high, I don't think. Or in speeding it up, it just made his tone sound higher. Something like that. That's interesting. Because that Paul Rogers, I mean, that was he was in free. Right. Uh, before that, I mean, so good. And he, I don't know if you've seen any recent, I mean, he still, he looks great. He sounds exactly the same. Amazing. I, Unf- I watched it on Access TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was probably only a couple years old. Yeah. Because of course now with COVID, there's no music. Yeah. No live music anyway. And uh, he was just amazing. You just have people sign a waiver. Just like, give me COVID. I want to see Led Zeppelin, you know. <laughs> right? I don't know. Well, maybe Zeppelin will come back together just to play one of those COVID shows. Yeah. Yeah, we should have like, like a live aid, like a COVID aid, or, you know, and have everybody. I think people are just sick of it. Yeah. Maybe Thriving Ivory. Hmm? <laughs> going to be no Thriving Ivory <laughs> reunion. Okay, let's talk about Thriving Ivory. So... Uh, how did the band form? So when I was uh, 20, 19 or 20, I moved to uh, Santa Barbara, um, which was a, a good place for a guy like me who was into the type of activities that I was into when I was 19. Good place to live for that. And uh, we stayed at a, I stayed at this house and the way they have, we lived in Isla Vista you know, which is out, this is in Goleta, which is where all the college kids live. Okay. And it's just dense. It's uh, thousands of kids. And we, we live, they just stack them in these houses. We lived, and there was like nine guys, like two bathrooms. It was disgusting. And in the back room um, is where Scott, the piano player, had, and he had a vocal booth built out of wood back there. And I kind of knew what it was right when I walked in and then we struck up a comment, you know, do you record? Goes, yeah. And he played me some of his stuff. And um, I don't know who was singing on it, but I was like, oh man, you know, I can, I can sing better than that. The guy sucks. Yeah, that guy sucks, Will. <laughs> so, so that was it. We just started making little songs and stuff. And then I, I remember, we, I remember walking around, putting up flyers, tear off flyers, you know, looking for a drummer. We found our guitar player, Drew, working in a coffee shop. Um, and, uh, that's how we started um just playing there and i remember thinking we had made it like we were talking about you know your band history and stuff and the, the small town where you came from and I, I i la vista is super small it's just college kids and um i remember playing parties and stuff and we would play out to the street on these decks you know and there'd be a couple hundred kids would amass you know and and, and i i just remember feeling like you know we made it bro you know vh1 behind the music you know and then and then the first time we went to LA to play and there was like negative people there, you know, it was just like reality check, you know. Well, that's where you earn your chops. Yeah. And, 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 L- and LA, I, I mean, I don't know if it's like this anymore, but a lot of these places, unless you're an established um, act is like pay to play. Yeah. So you buy your tickets up front, you know, and I remember having to do that, being like, oh, whatever, you know, they don't recognize artistry, you know, <laughs> no, no. But then that's eventually why we moved up to back to the Bay Area, which is where all of us were from, was because the... Uh, the so all of you guys were from the Bay Area? Yeah. And except, all met down there? Yeah, basically. Yeah, except for Scott, 
was from Orange County. Okay. And um, that's kind of why we moved back up because we had started to play really good shows in the Bay Area. And it, it was just a little more diluted. It wasn't as concentrated as like LA. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, it sucked at first. I mean, I remember playing at bars, just playing on the ground. When people are right there, you're right in people's faces, you know, drinks spilling on you. This one place we used to play, there was a cigarette machine right behind us. So people would walk through us over the drum riser, you know, and poor Paul, was you that, know, Margo, that, let you need change. You, you was know. that Dan's? Yeah, 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 before they had the little stage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. Oh, yeah. They don't have that cigarette machine there anymore. No, it's but, not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And eventually this saw and then built a little stage. But, you know, I remember Paul playing and people coming up, you know, squeezing in behind him. Hey, give me a Marlboro Light, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we playing at a Chinese buffet one time. We didn't realize that we got there. And that, and that was always a moment of, like, tension, like, especially when we started touring nationally. And we were going places where we knew we weren't on the radio there, or maybe we had just gotten on the radio. I'm skipping like several years here um, of depression and like wondering what I'm doing with my life, but <laughs> rolling into a town and, and before, before hitting the venue, you know, crossing our fingers, like, Oh my God, please don't be a dive. Please don't be a dive. You know, cause we'd pull up and it'd say like throwing ivory one time in Syracuse a picture of somebody throwing a tusk yeah or it's just spelled completely wrong or the date's wrong you know and just being like damn it you know you're a thousand miles from home you know um yes i mean it was it was, it was i'm mean, not brutal we were having a, a blast but it was definitely tough in the beginning because we had an old school manager he managed he was one of the original owners of bill graham presents oh wow so he partnered with bill graham eventually and then uh Continued there after once he died, obviously, but he managed um, Train and Gin Blossoms and Eddie Money was his like big claim to you know, mm -hmm. and uh, so he he was old school man. I remember him telling us that we needed to we needed to get on the MySpace this new thing, the MySpace, you know, and we'd be like, dude, it's been out like for years, nobody uses it, you know, <laughs> and uh, but he was just big on like the organic get in the van yeah you know and that, yeah and that's what we did yeah well that's how everybody gets good yeah too right you're not really rehearsing at that point anymore it's just every night you're just you go out there and you do the you deal know, stuff backwards and forwards yeah. yeah totally so who did uh who do you guys sign with so we showcased send for anybody that doesn't know what that is that's if it when a um and when you build up enough, and I even hate this word because he used to say it all the time too, buzz. He'd always, you know, we need to build a buzz in northern, in uh, the Santa Rosa area. He was always obsessed with the Santa Rosa area. He used the word buzz like I used the word awesome. Yeah. Bing! <laughs> so um, what happened was Live 105 in, well, first K-Fog. Is K-Fog even around anymore? I don't uh, even know. Okay. Uh, 104.5 I think was K-Fog they played a song first of ours which wasn't even wasn't our good song I thought and then Live 105 um, Aaron Axelson somehow got a hold of Angels on the Moon um, and put it in regular rotation with all the other stuff it wasn't like midnight Sun, the midnight disc jockey, you know, here's a new band. From Four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, for all you millions listening out there. Um, they put it in regular rotation. So it's even played like four or five times a day. And 
And then we started playing bigger shows. So we did like the Fillmore, Great American Music Hall, Slims, which I think is closed now. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Then the record companies and our people start sniffing around. Um, we showcased for um, Atlanta, uh, Atlantic, flew us to New York three times. So first we played for the A&R guy, then we played for the A&R staff, then we played for the A&R staff, plus the, the, the guy and the gal that run the show over there, Craig Kalman and Judy something. And they just said, no. <laughs> so thanks for coming. We flew back. <laughs> uh, Roadrunner, which... Um, I remember Roadrunner. That was... Uh, I don't know if they were... It, uh, they were a huge Nickel, metal... Well, Nickelback was their yeah. big... Okay. We showcased for Roadrunner twice. Once for the A&R guy. Once for their team. Uh, nope. Showcased for uh, Hollywood Records, which, uh, which is Disney. <clears throat> Columbia. And then finally, uh, Wind Up Records, which was Creed, Evanescence, Finger Eleven. Um, and so they were a, a heavier, more active rock type, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we showcased for them. And at the end of it, their dynamic there was a little different. It was a husband and wife duo, and they just owned the label, so they could do whatever mm -hmm. the hell they wanted. So, and they were a colorful combo, the two of them. Um, and they, we went out to dinner afterwards, and they just said, we're going to sign you guys, you know. And, you know, so that, and that was it. So, um, that kind of kicked, kicked things into high gear. Cause then, you know, we had to finish the record and shot a video and, um, and then once a single was out, we got on VH1 and had our videos on VH1 and, um, um, and then we really started touring nationally in North America, at least. And that's when all hell broke loose, Johnny. <laughs> well, so explain to me the writing process for Thriving Ivory. Was it just you and Scott? Was his name Scott? Yes. Um, very different than how I'm doing it now. Um, you know, at the time I didn't, I didn't know any better. And I, you know, you, you'd probably hear from a lot of bands and they would probably admit that the, no band dynamic is going to work if it's a complete democracy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I don't think you can put four or five guys in a room and just say, okay, what do you want to play here? Perfect. What do you want to play? And you'll end up with the best product. Right. Uh, because, you, you know, you got to do, and you know this from drumming, you got to do what, what serves the song. Like, of course, Carter Buford could throw in some crazy solo right in the middle of the second verse, you know, but it, it might kill, kill the song, you know? Right. So if a perfect democracy was one end of the spectrum and then like a dictatorship was the other end, we were probably closer to the other, uh, other end. Um, meaning that everything started on the piano with the piano player. Then he would show it to me. Like when it's, once it's like done. Okay. Here's what I just did. And then I would sing it, get comfortable with it. Maybe suggest a couple little changes here or there. <clears throat> and then, and then basically everyone else had to kind of fit into that mold of what already existed right and and we got good at making parts they got good at making parts for themselves that worked well within that you know so it wasn't always a struggle but it definitely wasn't um you know let's all get together and just do what we want you, you know um now with with the stuff that i'm doing it you know is way different it would start with me and um, I will 
either just write totally from scratch or I mean, another cool way to do it is I'll ask the producer, whoever I'm working with, um, to send me, just send me a track. Send, do, you know, a lot of these guys, they, they're so, they get so prolific at it that they can make these, especially the guy that I, I'm working with now, he does a lot of the theme music for, um, Titan games and, uh, American Ninja Warrior. So he's just, he's got these like epic tracks just sitting around and they're just instrumental, you know? And so, so he'll just send me stuff and I'll write on top of it. Reminds me of, uh, I did two different bands where I was writing original stuff. <clears throat> like I said before, I play drums. Yeah. Not guitar or keyboard. Yeah. So it's really just me singing over a rhythm in my head. Yeah. Um, but I would sit down with a guitar player or a keyboard and uh, just say, start playing this. And then I would have an idea for something. So it sounds like it was pretty similar. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, it's interesting because I, I can't, I can't play piano. I can, I can play guitar. I'm, I'm, I'm an average guitar player, but I don't know. I don't know song theory. Like, I don't know. I half the time, like you, a lot of times it'll happen to me if I'm, when I'm driving, So I think you kind of go into this like subconscious Trance, mode. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're driving for an hour and you realize you haven't been paying attention, you know? And so it'll hit me a lot of times in those situations. And I don't know what, I have to go home then and pick up a guitar and be like, okay, wait, what was I doing? Right. Okay, wait, no, that doesn't work out, you know. Probably. You ever had that thing where you're driving and you can't remember the last 30 minutes of what you drove by or yeah. how you drove to where you're at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Used to have it a lot when I was younger. <laughs> so I was going through uh, uh, the interweb, the worldwide interweb. The WWW. And uh, my grandma would say. Uh, you were produced by Howard Benson. I was looking into that. Uh, he was a he was a, a homie that we worked with. Um, Kelly Clarkson, Hoobastank, Pod, Daughtry. Yeah. What two producers like that do for a band? What, uh, so, you know, it's so different even now. So that that was ten years ago. Um, what happened was, so we had our demo of our our single uh, "Angels on the Moon." Um. I'm going to say the song title over and over so I can make like an extra 10 cents on Spotify. <laughs> Angels on the moon. Um, and the record label wanted to see if the songs were done, but they wanted to see if they could beat it. Right. Cause we literally recorded it in our guitar player's basement on his mom's piano um, with a, a really cool guy named Chris Manning, who was in a band called the jellyfish. Do you remember, do you remember the jellyfish? Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Amazing. He was a bass player. Him and his brother. His brother was a keyboard player who's Beck's keyboard player now. That's the, the king is half undressed. That's yes. jellyfish, right? The king is half undressed and the drummer Freaking sang. I love that song. Yeah. So Chris, Chris is the bass player. Awesome producer, really awesome guy. And, and we did it like the OG way. Like we, we went up and recorded in this cabin and we did vocals there and then we did piano and the you know, pieced it all together. Um and the label went and had us go work with Howard Benson, who was at the time, I don't know what he does now, but he, I mean, he was a massive producer who did like Kelly Clarkson. And like you said, Chris Daughtry, Seether. I had just done that Daughtry record with, uh, you know, blow it away, blow it away, you know? Yeah. And so we thought it was awesome. You know, we rolled in and, you know, we, we got there into his studio and then everything was taped off. The drum set stayed there never moved. That was our live room, everything, you know, and we plug in and he goes, okay, we, um, it wasn't, he wasn't even there. It was us and his engineer, who was a really cool guy named Mike. He engineered, so he worked with Bob Rock in Canada, who did like- Metallica. The, yeah. Um, Our Lady Peace. Um, 
he did the Our Lady Peace, the Gravity Wreck. You know, I remember because we wanted a sample, and we, we ended up using a kick sample that he had from Bob Rock. From Anyway, another day. Um, so we go into the live room, and he goes, okay, you guys run, run through Angels, Angels on the Moon. Run through the song or whatever. Bing. Yeah, bing. <laughs> <laughs> 0. 0.0001 cents. Actually, Spotify per stream, it's like 0. 0.000. It's like thousandth place even if so every thousand plays you get a penny oh my god yeah it's 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 silly um and so we run through the song or the band did i think i was just singing on a talk back mic or something and they one time and they finished and he goes okay guys that's drums we're done with that let's go ahead and get bass so they're just tracking okay and we one rough time through and they they were tracking drums and that was it they paul paul poor paul he was done and they and they just exported that raw drum drum those drum files to a guy in a trailer who had Pro Tools open, and he yeah. just lined everything up, laid samples underneath, and and that was it. So it wasn't a great experience. It it, wow. it felt very fact like a little factory, you know. Yeah. And um, what's what was interesting is that the version that we got back, we just felt like it was so like bombastic and over the top. Um. You know, guitar bombs, pan left, you know, you know, and we didn't use it. So the one that ended up being the single on the radio nationally and on the video was our demo, basically. Out of the basement. Yeah. 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 And, we, and we, well, when we did keep the other two songs that we that we did with, with him, but that one in particular, we just felt like it lost something, you know. So when you were featured on VH1. Yeah. So, uh, uh one of my favorite movies is uh, The Wonders. Yeah. You know, when they hear their the song on the radio and they're running down the street. Oh, my God, that just happened. I mean, is that how you feel when something like that happens with VH1? Your video's on there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, had, I had just, I had broken up with a girl like six months before. And um, this is such a shallow, shallow little victory looking back on it. I had broken up with a really nice girl and uh, we had broken up and she texted me one morning. She said, and she said, cause I don't know, I don't even know if they still play videos, but VH1 used to play videos kind of in the morning and then in the afternoon. And she texted me, she goes, I just saw your video. Come on, you know, VH1, uh, you know, or something, you know? And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it was definitely weird, you know, weird at first and then, and then awesome. Um, but uh yeah and then that's when we really started touring and you know we were pretty much gone for a couple years you know you come home for a couple weeks at a time and then go back out you know so um you guys also performed on uh, jimmy kimmel and rachel ray yeah what's that like um performing I, I performed on like cable access i swear to god it was like wayne's world and you couldn't hear anything you couldn't do anything yeah. Was it that kind of situation for you guys? Horrible sound. Yeah. Horrible sound. A lot of the, the stuff they have up there, uh, you know, the amps and stuff, it's just for looks, really. Because I, I think everything is going, like, DI in, and, yeah. and they're mixing it all in the back end or something. So, yeah. And then uh, just very, just super stale. Because most a lot of bands, when they come on, they're unknown. And this is, like, that's one way they get known is by coming on and doing a performance. And so... You almost feel like it's like they've dragged the crowd out of their seats and brought in like 30 of them into this little other room to watch you. And it's it's just super stale and cold. Like nobody knows the song. What's really tricky too is they ask you to trim the song. So we had to cut the song from like 350 down to like 230. 
so it's like, I think we skipped the second verse and just went right to the bridge. I remember it just being super weird. Which part of your song don't you want to play? Yeah. Trick question. Yeah. Like, it's all good. Uh, you're talking to a real artist, Jimmy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, those experiences, I mean, they were cool, but it was never it, nothing like playing a real show. Yeah. You know, and, and the hosts and stuff, like, they're so busy. And then imagine, like, think Letterman. Like, he sees a different band every night, you know. He's never going to see something where he's, you know, blows him away and he comes over and talks to you and invites you over for dinner, or, you know. I don't even think we met Jimmy Kimmel. Maybe we did Rachel Ray. Yeah. She cooked us some fried zucchini or something. <laughs> I don't know. Some fried. Yeah. You guys are great. Yeah. Here's some fried zucchini. Yeah. So did you travel all over the world? Um, just North America, really. I mean, we, we played in Cozumel once cause we did a VH1 cruise. Okay. Um, which is all interesting and awkward cause you're trapped on a cruise boat with people, you know, so there's like nowhere to go. Um, but it was, that was fun. Just, yeah. North America. I mean, every state, I, um, and then all the big towns and the big cities in Canada. I don't think we ever played in Nebraska or South Dakota. Those are the only two. You missed out. I know. Yeah. Someday. Go Big Red. Yeah. That's all it says in Nebraska. Go Big Red. I I drove through there when I was 13 years old going to Wyoming to visit family. And it's flat. Yeah. And everything says Go Big Red. That's all I remember. What's Big Red? Is it their their, college? uh, That's their college. Yeah. I thought it was gum. I love cinnamon. That's right. But it wasn't. It was Go Big Red for their team. (laughs) Go Juicy Fruit. Is it? um, (laughs) Yeah. I guess where would you play? Lincoln, Nebraska, I guess would be the. Omaha. um, Yeah. But that's right over the border from Iowa. No, I'm thinking Wichita. We definitely played Wichita. When did things start getting out of control as far as drinking? Yeah. Partying? Jeez. I mean. That kind of stuff. I don't want to shock your audience here. Oh, my Um, God. No. You know, I mean, I I had a propensity towards that anyway. Like you know, from the time I was in high school to excess and um, really like being in, in the band and being the, the lead singer, I, you know, was just kind of, was like the perfect storm for me. Um, you know, every night it's really, it's kind of like being a pirate, you know, you go to a town, play your show, rec shop, you know, do whatever you want. And then you get Pillage. up, yeah, you can get up the next day and you're, you know, you're, play that guitar solo and you're, and you're out, you know, to the next town. And, you know, I waking up in hotel bathrooms, passed out in the shower, you know, you get up the next morning, ha ha ha. And everyone's laughing. And remember what, you know, Clayton did last night. And so you, it's kind of, you know, in a weird way, it's, it's like part of the, it's what you do. It's what you do. You know, I mean, I remember driving to a Starbucks one morning with the radio rep who was going to take us into the radio station to go play, you know, and having to pull over and, and hurl on the side of the road and then just get back in and then walked into the radio station. Don't tell me if I'm dying, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, it's always, it was always out of control. I mean, even in the, when we started in Santa Barbara, it was like the party was on yeah. before we even hit the road, you know? And so, it would just depend how many people were at the show, you know, if there was a whole bunch, you know, then it was a party, you know? Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I look on it back on it now and it's like, uh, you know, if, if we did have further success past that or even got more intense, um, who knows what, what would have happened? Probably death. Uh, yes. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you, you watch. We, we, we laugh at it. It's probably the truth. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I passed out in bathtubs full of water, you, you know, um, and uh, I, you know, no wonder these, you know, Morrison, Hendrix, what were they? They were all like 27, right? Yeah. I said, ah, I was 26, 27, you know. It's about how long it takes, like, you know. Well, we're indestructible. Right, right. You know, yeah. nothing's going to get me. Right. You know, I, mean, I, I don't know what age I was, but I mean, passed out under a stage, yeah. on stage, yeah. un, under the drum riser during a show. Were you still singing? La, 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 la. That's about all I could get out of my mouth, you know. And then they, uh, for some reason, the band broke up the next day. Yeah. I don't know why. Jerks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, I look back on that almost the same way you do and go, well, looking back on it now, thank God it ended up the way it did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it, you know. Um, most of the time I had a blast, you know, um, there was definitely plenty of mornings sprinkled in there where I just felt like, you know, a walking POS, you know, horrible anxiety, you know, 2000 miles away from home. Um, you know, but I mean, the, the writing was on the wall, you know, going back to like the, the band dynamic and how we would write that, that that top-down structure um, permeated every other aspect, too. I mean, um, it was just a bad situation. And I was always kind of in the middle. I was, you know, I was kind of like the peacemaker, and so I would kind of arbitrate between sides, you know. And that was exhausting, too. Right. But, you know. Um, but, you know, and then Jeffrey was born, and it kind of sucked me out of, you know, so kind of put a period on that phase, you know, and I had to go get a real job. Time to grow up. Yep. So I started Avalon. No. So the question before we get out of there is, uh, this is a serious one. Do you, did you have any specific stuff on your band rider? <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I mean, we, we joke about it now. I'm, I'm still really close with guitar, guitar player and drummer. And, um, we joke about it. We joke about it now. But I mean, dude, I mean, legit, and Jenna could tell you, you know, there was times when I'd be in tears, like flying back from New York because some drama had been started or cooked up. And, and um, you know, not, not that um, it's substance wise, not that I was he was any worse than me. Right. So I can point fingers at that. But it, it was just the mental, emotional stuff. And then all the songs just started sounding the same, you know, yeah. everything's halftime, super metaphorical. And I just can't understand, like, I'd be like, bro, if I don't know what you're talking about here, how is anybody else? How, you know, I can't find the beat, you know? Um, I think there was this like desire to really want to sound like an Adam Duritz type counting crows thing, you know? Yeah. So I would constantly like trying to find the beat, you know, the rhythm, you know, and, um, I, why I really appreciate what I'm doing now. Yeah. Cause it, um, gives me the freedom and I can just do stuff, you know? Yeah. Adam Duritz, that whole Counting Crows thing. 
Uh, not my deal. No? No, I went in and... Uh, Have you seen him live? I saw live yeah. open up for the Counting Crows. Yeah. And I watched live, who's one of my favorite bands. And they'll play it how, they'll play it how you heard it on the record. Oh, which Which, I, I don't know how other people feel, but th that's what I feel people want. And I feel like out of respect, you got to play it what they came... They bought your CD. They bought your concert ticket. And... Um, uh, my manager which is Litman Entertainment, and I, I talked. I we've talked. I think you you got to have them on here. Um, they manage Matchbox and Rob Thomas, who frequently tours with Counting Crows as, yeah. a, as a double bill. And he and he says they don't play anything like when they do Mr. Jones. It's Mr. Jones and me, and and he just goes off and starts talking. And um, oh, that would bug me if I went there. I left right after live was done. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I've never liked them. I just, they were a little yeah. bit too heavy for me, where it's like, wow, you really take yourself seriously. Yeah. And then there's the end of the song, goes, yay! Yay! Oh my God. I'm like, what in the hell was that? <laughs> I just couldn't do it. But, uh, sick drummer, though. Sick, like, Anna begins. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great musicians. It's yeah. just, uh, I just couldn't get into it. it. Personal preference. See, you know what, though, in the 90s, you could get away with that stuff, though. You know, this is all open to interpretation, the tool, everything, you know, uh, even like Bush, you like, what are they, what are they talking about? You know, li live too. It's just, the lyrics were deeper and that doesn't, I don't feel like that really exists anymore. Like you can't really get away. No, I, I listen, I listen to live yeah. every week. Yeah. I listen to tool every we, week. Well, you I mean, know, so we did a whole tour stuff. with, um. Kowalczyk, we did a whole tour with Ed Kowal. We opened for him. Oh, dude! So and it, so it was him and a and a you know a house band or whatever. But they just played all live stuff. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I I snuck in. I didn't sneak in. I, I got. I flew down for one day. They were opening up at the Roxy. Yeah. For opening up their tour, it was them and Bush. Yeah. It was about it was about two years ago. It was right before Johnny was my son was born, and. Uh, I had put, I got tickets for their show here and they said, sign up here to win tickets for the opening. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So they emailed so you me. Like the, the little Roxy, like yeah, small, yeah. right? So they sent me an email the next morning. I didn't know I was signing up to get tickets for the next day. Oh. So they said, you won. Did you go? I talked to Carissa, my wife, and said, hey, oh man, I got this email. <laughs> oh, dang it. Yeah, darn it. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she allowed me to go. I went down there. I stood in line at Tower Records, felt like a kid. And I got six people away from getting my ticket. And they said, oh, all the tickets are gone. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And you flew down there? Flew down there. So I'm standing in line. And K-Rock was giving away tickets in this other line. Yeah. And nobody was showing up off of the giveaways from the, ra uh, from the radio station. Yeah. Or the satellite station whatever so came back about six hours later got my ticket from k-rock but while i was waiting i went to roxy and i got to meet chad the drummer from live i wow. met ed i met all these guys up there went in i was standing right in front and watched that show they only played six songs yeah but i was standing right in front of patrick the bass player yeah and i get this big black hand right on my shoulder i'm like turn around Dennis Rodman. What? Yeah, I got video of him dancing on stage. That's crazy. He goes, "Hey, big guy, give me a uh, give me a shove on stage." So Dennis Rodman called me big guy. It was awesome. So it was it was a great day. And again, I went down there, and when Bush started, I just left. <laughs> just I had yeah. to go because I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and fly back up here. 
Yeah. But it was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that uh, uh, that eighties into mid mid eighties into mid nineties music was so good for sure. Yeah. And there was so much meaning behind it. Alice yeah. in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, all that kind of stuff. I just freaking loved Jellyfish. Oh, Jellyfish. Hello. I, I do love that song. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool song. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, one of the cooler things about um, uh, being on bills with bigger acts, even if we were like the first out of four, you know, like once it was us, Shine Down, something else, and then Corn, like a really inappropriate, I don't yeah, know yeah. who put us, you know, because this was in Memphis. Memphis in May, it was a festival. And I remember walking out with our pianos on stage and just seeing the crowd. And they're like, who are these boys? These pianers, you know, playing before corn, you know. But what was cool was being able to see like sound check. You know, I remember once we, we did an acoustic thing with Sarah McLaughlin and uh, being backstage and she was in the women's bathroom. And it was this big tile bathroom, so it was echoing. And she was in there warming up, just like, you know, just yeah, that like, voice. Oh my God, you know. Um, that stuff was, yeah, it was always really cool. So that's a good segue into my last question about that band. What, what was the high point of that band? The high point for Thriving Ivory was when the song, you know, probably, uh, you know, the last show we did at the Fillmore was awesome. There was like a thousand people there, you know, at the Fillmore. It's just a historic spot in San Francisco. That was awesome. Uh, when we were, when the song was really doing well on the radio, there was a couple towns we pulled into and there was like, you know, a couple thousand people lined up to get in, you know, that was always a trip, you know, random places too. I mean, Salt Lake, Mobile, Alabama. I remember pulling in and just being like, what, you know, who are these people? Wow. What, you know? And then to see, I'd been singing, we had been singing that song Angels on the Moon for years at that point. Cause it was not a new song. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now there's all these people and mobile singing yeah you know it's a little surreal um yeah probably the shows this was you know that's why you do it yeah yeah so i talked about it before you and i met in a 12-step recovery program right um part of what this podcast is about not part of it but all this podcast is about is helping other people out whether they're looking to find their way through life, through a career, through music, through whatever it is. So um, True Ambition is actually taken out of uh, one of the books from the program. And it says the true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the, right. is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. I didn't put that two and two together on that one. Bing, right. bang, boom. Touche. So what are you doing today to better yourself and make yourself a better person? It's, it's tricky. Um, I feel like, um, I feel like there's, there's a lot of, there's no one, I've never really had like that burning bush moment where I just made the 180 and started levitating and, you know, um, it's little things along the way. I feel like that I've learned that are all, have all been, looking back now, have all been ingredients um, and to contribute to what I've been able to do, 
Um, you know, I, I just, I just listened to the Matthew McConaughey on Joe Rogan the other day and it got me super fired up because he, he seems very similar. That's why I brought him up and he's talking about little changes that he's making. And, um, uh, I just, I just started, this sounds lame, but I just started, I turned my phone off at nine and I keep it away from my bed and I, and I go to sleep at nine. And it, so, it sounds trivial, but, but what I notice is that um, I, stop, I stop caring less and less about my phone, about checking in. Um, I wake up the next day and I feel better. So that's just an example of, like, of little things like that. But I, I, think, um, I think achieving, well, maybe you can relate to this too. I, I don't know if it was the way I, I was raised or if it was instilled in me when I was young, but I, I get, maybe you can call it blind ambition in a way is I, I never felt like there was anything that I necessarily wouldn't be able to do, you know, unless it's something, you know, that, you know, I can't go play for the Lakers. I mean, I could, I'd be like the Muggsy Bogues out there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so with my business and what I do, um, I totally agree because I have, maybe they call it uh, naivety. Yeah. Where I don't believe for a second that I can't do what any other company can do. Yeah. And I, 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 kind, of, I, I kind of credit my mother for that because she told me from the time I was born I could do whatever I wanted to. Yeah. Whatever I put my mind to. Whatever I worked hard for. Right. You know? And, uh, you know... I screwed off for many, many years. Right. Thinking that I just right. deserved it. Right. You know, I'm probably going to be rich. I don't know. Yeah. Mama said I can. <laughs> yeah. I was going to be a rock star. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but then you have to go out and work hard and all that other kind of stuff that goes along with it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, yeah. I. And it's hard because then again, I like within reason, right? I mean, if you can't, if you can't sing, <laughs> you know, um, you might not ever, you, you know, but w what I, what to me, what that means is, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I guess I would, it, it some combination of, of that blind ambition. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not insecure about things, you know, because I, I, sometimes I do come back to, or even when we were trying to get a record deal, you know, oh my gosh, what am, you know, what am I doing? Why am I, you know, this is, you know, because I turned down, I got accepted at UC Santa Barbara and, and turned, ripped it up and didn't go, you know. Oh, my God, what am I doing? But little incrementally, I was having little successes that kept moving me forward and pointing me in that direction. Um, and it took us six years, I think, to get signed, right? And um, But I, I think that experience and then f finally achieving that, and, like you know, we weren't, we weren't, uh, you know, in sync or some massive global act, but even just achieving what we did, um, I think imprinted me even further with that kind of sense of, of, of optimism in whatever I, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge success, you know? So yes, it wasn't in sync. It wasn't cold play. It wasn't ever, whatever band, Madonna, whatever band you want to put up there that sells tens of millions, but the number of acts that sell the way that you guys did yeah. is very small. 
So it's 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 yeah. an amazing thing. But the great thing is that the point in your life you're at right now, yeah, you can take away the positives from it and learn from it, right? And also take away the negative parts of it and learn from those as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I you know, I um, I don't have to tour. I like thank God, you know. I mean, it gen- sounds horrible. Yeah, really, when you break it down, I mean, you say, okay, when you get a bus, and we thought we had made it when we got our bus, right? We picked up our bus, and then a couple of days into having the bus, it dawned on me, we're not going to be showering as much because you've got the bus, so now you're not stopping at hotels, right? right. You stop at a hotel every three or four days to do your laundry and shower. Yeah. So in a way, like, it got nastier. But, um, yeah, I, you know, and so then, and when I look back on my life, um, you know, there really hasn't been anything that I pinpointed and said, this is what I want to do that, um, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but that I haven't been able to do, you know, I, I, when the band dissolved and my son was born, I knew I had to get a real job, you know? And, um, my brother was already going to nursing school. So I said, okay, I'm going to nursing school. I have to be a nurse. You know, in the Bay Area, I knew I could graduate and make six figures or, you know, right. conservatively at Kaiser or something. And so I hustled my butt off. I worked in this crappy call center, um, which is funny because when the band was trying to make it in Santa Barbara, there was a few call centers inbound because the college turnover rate, the kids was so high that they just had a constant influx of kids to sit there, you know. And we all worked there because it was the only place if we sold well enough, we could make our own schedule and go tour and stuff. And then when I left the band, I went to, I went to junior, went back to junior college. Uh, I had to take all my sciences, everything. And I was working at this crappy call center. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I found the school that I wanted to go to. I had to make sure my grades were good enough. You know, so I got straight A's. I got into the school, went there for two years, became a nurse, started work, you know, and I was able to support my, my family. Right. So there's a, yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of stuff sprinkled in there. It's, the, it's that determination, it's that, that optimism, um, some proof that I could reflect back on to be like, that worked, you know? that mindset worked, keep moving forward. Right. Um, and not to say that there, there weren't obstacles, you know, f- you know, financial obstacles. Is it funny though, because I'm, I'm writing this book right now that's also called True Ambition, and I'm looking back on all of those obstacles yeah. that I thought at the time were so horrific in my life, and I look back at them now, and it's hardly even a speed bump. The things that absolutely rip my life apart. Earth shattering. Yeah. Earth, right, oh right, my right. God. No one would ever understand this. This is the worst. Right. And then you look back at it and go, oh my God. And a lot of them too, you could probably look back on and go, you know what? I'm glad that happened because what I learned from that, I applied here. Yeah. Or what I learned from that, I never did that again. Yeah. Right. Um, for sure. You haven't said awesome once, by the way. <laughs> Bing. Yeah. I haven't even heard a supplement for it. See, no, I, great. I, I know the Ed's going to have that uh, noise that, that yeah, the, the just sound make it effect. go off anyway. Bing. Um, <laughs> no, what they're talking about is that in the first few episodes of True Ambition podcast, I have found that I say that's awesome a lot, and then they said if I say it anymore, they're going to put a sound effect on there that says Bing. Bing. So I'm trying to not Listen, say it. As that much. could be cool though, because you could have. 
True ambition. That's awesome. <laughs> like merch and you know the stickers. t-shirt. Yeah. The hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lunchbox. The J string. Um, <laughs> where so, do you print it? Where do you print it? On the G string. Just on the strip. <laughs> <laughs> you got to turn your head, and you really got to get in there. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. I. Uh... <laughs> what a great G string. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so, yeah, so I, I, I worked as a nurse and, um, and, and it, my hat's off to bedside nurses. You know, I did it for a few years. Um, oh no, I've got a great story. Met a lot of great, yeah. Met a lot of great people. <laughs> um, um, I ended up work, you know, I was working night shift at Stanford and, um, it's brutal, man. I was driving from Livermore to Palo Alto night shift. Um, and especially now with the COVID stuff, I, I can't imagine, you know, working in the units, wearing a mask for 12 hours a day. And, and, uh, but I, I transitioned out of that and that's kind of when the, when the license, when I, well, it's a long, it's a long story, but do you want me to get into that? What are you doing now? Okay. So I, um, let me see. Are you talking about what you're doing now? The case manager? No, that's boring. Let me, let me tell you one story (laughs) because right now you are a case manager. I remember a story. You and I were standing around and you said, oh, I'm just so tired of wiping butts. (laughs) (laughs) Literally what he said. And I said as a friend, well, you know, you don't have to, right? Yeah. And within about a month, you had another job. There's other body parts. (laughs) Um, No, I, I remember that conversation and I was working at Sutter. I was working at Sutter Antioch. That's where I was working. And um, I, I remember just being in the back. I just couldn't imagine myself doing that for the rest of my life. Um, and you know what? That, that's another, I think, ingredient in the, in the pie or whatever is that, um, you know, our, our parents' generation really was like, you graduated, you got your job, you stayed there for 40 years, you worked your way up, you retired, you had a pension, that was it. Done. Um, I, I, that, that thought has always kind of freaked me out. And I've, and maybe I'm restless, compulsive. I don't know what you call it, but I've never really felt like this is it. I'm here. This is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. So I, I'm the same way. Yeah. And so just like you, you know, you see all these other endeavors, you know, and, um, now I'm doing a podcast now what's next. Um, and yeah, I just remember standing there looking around and there's some of the other nurses, you know, and again, if that's your calling, that's amazing. And then you can provide care for people you know we need them we all need them for sure and it's like just piggybacking off what you said my mom worked at a factory called lk lk is a water cooler like every school has an lk water cooler you press the button the water comes out the top you drink it you know so um she's worked she worked there for 35 years before she retired no way she started on the um the button line the line um she was uh yeah, pretty much doing the buttons. <laughs> but the buttons. I, I worked there for a summer when right. I lived back in Oh, Illinois. and you were like, how? No, my first job was to take a plastic bag and put it over top of the finished water cooler. All day. And then it would go down to somebody else. For eight hours. But that was my deal. And I was just hoping and praying if I could get down to use the screwdriver, the power screwdriver, yeah. how much better my life would be. <laughs> you that, that's what I was doing. And no. And I'm not making fun of it because there's people that are doing that today. Right. And my mom started there and she became an inspector. 
and she stayed there for 35 years. Yeah. They offered her a job to go up higher in the organization, but she wanted to stay on as a union employee. Oh, sure. So she could protect herself. She's like, no. You see the guy making the buttons over there? She's got the plastic bag. <laughs> That's right. I used to do the plastic bag. That's crazy. No. Um, but I'm the same way. And Carissa, my wife, and I have talked about it before. I very rarely stay in a house longer than three or four years before we're off to something else, off doing something else, and it's weird. Yeah. I mean, moving sucks so bad that that. Ugh. Um, actually, us too. I mean, we we moved. We were Livermore here, Rockland. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but I, I I think that's part of it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the, the people you talk to have multiple things going on, or have hopped from this industry to this industry to this. You, you know. Um, but what, yeah, so I, I, I remember looking on Indeed and I, I found this company and it sounded interesting. It was in the field, being a nurse case manager, traveling to appointments, and it was uh, work from home and the field. So I wasn't in an office. There's nobody standing over my shoulder. Right. Um, <laughs> I look back, I laugh now because Jenna looks at me now and she's like, basically, you found the closest thing to not having a job. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, because it's like I'm my own boss, basically, you know. But the the byproduct of that um, was that it gave me a lot of free time because I was on my own schedule, basically. Um, and and then that's kind of how the music stuff now kicked up. Uh, that's a good segue. Bing. Now, City Wolf. Yes. Tell people about what you're doing now. I, tr I made a concerted effort to try and rekindle the Thriving Ivory thing with their piano player. And soon after we got back together and started writing some stuff, or he wrote some stuff and showed me, um, we were approached by... So hold uh, on a second. Did he write all the lyrics too? Yeah. Okay. You had to... Uh, yeah. Uh. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know really my contribution was just the my vocal presence and um i would sometimes he'd suggest words and i'd feel uncomfortable would be you know I'd be like dude nobody knows what you're talking about you know um but uh we were approached by um lipman entertainment i i think they saw like a facebook post or something and um one of the partners there jeremy lopez who was a fan an old school fan of thriving ivory and had been to shows now, you know, eight years later or whatever, was now one of the partners of this management firm. And like I said, they, Michael Lippman, who was the father who started it, was David Bowie's manager. He was okay. Yeah, he was all right. He was all right. Um, uh, was, was Bowie's manager and then and George Michael all for his whole career until wow. he, not, not Wham, but maybe after that. Um, and then Matchbox and, and Rob Thomas as a solo artist. So um, they reached out and initially first just tried to help Thriving Ivory again. And it became apparent pretty quickly that it wasn't going to work. And they, <laughs> they were exposed to some of the craziness and it just it didn't work. So, But um, they pulled me aside and said, hey you know, there's a different opportunity now with all this, you know, streaming services. There's so much media, okay, Netflix, Hulu, um, uh, online, you know, digital, at, you know, there's, there's so much, 
there's so much content now um, that a lot that a lot of these companies want and need music wise that you can make a career as an artist as a a sync dash licensing so sync s-y-n-c um is a term that you hear thrown around sync licensing and it basically means that they've synced up your song with some show or an ad okay for anybody listening that doesn't know what that is um so I, I went to a meeting at a, at a um, he took me to meet one of the guys that runs a place in LA called Position Music. And they're one of the big dogs down there. And he, and he, he played me some stuff and, and I really liked it. It sounds a lot like sort of reminiscent of City Wolf stuff. You know, I put my own flavor on it. And, um, but I heard it and said, I thought, man, you know, I can do this and I can write this by myself. If I can find a producer, you know, I, I could really do this. And so that's what I did. I, I uh, was signed by a place down there called a Riptide Music Group. And I did my first uh, record for them. And then a bunch of other singles and stuff. So probably like 14 or 15 songs for them. And um, just within the last year, I have branched out and signed deals with um, other licensing companies, you know. And, and, you know, you get to maintain the credibility of, of still being a quote unquote artist and writing songs that fit a brand or an image. Um, but also the fun of sometimes writing for specific things. Like I said, the briefs, you know, or writing something that a, a show might request that they're looking for, you know? Um, so it, it's been cool for me and I don't have to go, I don't have to travel. I don't have to go anywhere, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just been a very Forrest Gump esque sometimes when I look at, the trajectory and you know uh, well it's it's different but it's a a great creative outlet yeah you know yeah without having to be on a bus and not showering for three days and right well sometimes i still don't shower for three days but well you're trying to save water yeah <laughs> so who are some of the folks that you're working with right now as far as some of the other creative folks that you're partnering up with sure so um the gentleman that I did the first batch of songs with uh, was a producer down there. Um, this goes by The Under. Uh, he's an awesome artist in his own right with his with his own stuff that he does. Um, and just in the last year, uh, we had a bunch of stuff, uh, really cool placements. We were in um, a couple songs in the new season of, of Lucifer um, that I think is still is on the air right now. Um, a couple uh, Call of Duty commercials, which is cool. The uh, video game, you mm -hmm. know, which Jeffrey thought was super cool. <laughs> I uh, bet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny because that <clears throat> when we first, I the, when the ad came out, and I and I could tell it was the song. I gathered him or him and maybe my wife, or we were all sitting there waiting to hear it. You know, oh, check it out, guys. <laughs> and they uh, part of the licensing agreement, you know, is that. They, they're paying to, for full use of the song. So you send them all the stem files, all the tracks, and they can do whatever they want with it. Right. And it was it was all instrumental until like the very last two seconds. You heard me go like, yeah, and then it cut out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dang it. Like, I swear. Um, yeah, and some, some Amazon Prime trailers and um, the, that cheesy, uh, what's it called? The Circle on Netflix, that reality show. You know, yeah. They used a bunch of stuff. Um, and uh, WWE, Fox Sports, um, yeah. So it's been cool, 
you know, and, and, and like I said, I mean, even, even with this, we were talking earlier, you know, a lot of these songs I wrote and recorded in late 2018. So it even took that long, even for this stuff to come to fruition. And so that's where looking back, I think some of the optimism and like perseverance and that, that I developed, you know, maybe some of it was inherent that we just born with or through the band days, I was kind of able to, you know, this wasn't as big of a deal. Well, plus, cause I, I, you know, with the kids now your attention's divided. Well, just think about something you said earlier that, you know, angels on the moon got popular six years after you wrote it. Yeah. You know, so here you are writing all this music right now right. and recording it. And, you know, of course, we expected to take off right away. Right, right. But, you know, it might take a while with all the different things with production and all the rest of the stuff goes on. You know, it, you're doing amazing things. And it's really cool to see the progression from when you and I met yeah. to what you're doing right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really cool. I can't wait to see what else is going to happen. Um, I, I started working with a rapper this year uh, named Easy McCoy which has kind of turned everything upside down for me. Cause, um, well, and it's cooler cause I don't have to write the verse really. I just come up with the hook and then it's like, okay, we're done here, you know? Um, but, uh, plus rappers are cool. Yeah. Well, it kind of lends credibility to, to my, you know, we just did a photo shoot in LA. So do you have street cred now? Yeah. I hope, it doesn't matter where New York, <laughs> LA. No, we, um, it's funny our dynamic. Cause I am, I'm like the nerdy guy out of the two of us, you know? Um, but, uh, we are going to have an eight song, a full record come out next year on position music. And he's been in this game for a few years longer than me. And I mean, probably unbeknownst to most your listeners have probably heard him. Um, he's uh, the, the Seattle Seahawks theme song right now is him a song called energy. Um, uh, Hard Knocks was at the Fox Sports show. Hard yeah. Knocks. He's the theme song for Hard Knocks, uh, and then he had a trailer for the stars, the show on Stars Power, um, the, a new Under Armour commercial with The Rock. So he, I mean, he's he's everywhere. So for me, it was really cool because he kind of elevated my game and really showed me what what you can do. You know, so it's been really cool. Yeah, and I just feel cooler. I found out that I'm lacing my shoes wrong. Oh, yeah. So I rolled into the studio. It was it was him and this producer Cairo they're both way cooler than me and i came in and i had some new nikes on i thought it was cool and he goes look he goes this guy's about to run a marathon so his, <laughs> his little shoes are so tight they're never coming off <laughs> so i guess i'm tying them wrong oh my god did you retie them well these are these are beat yeah these are just like my junkie shoes no i didn't i'm gonna next time i see him i'm gonna have him lace i think what he means is you're supposed to go over the top straight across yeah yeah i can't do that yeah i don't know they were making fun of me I'm never running a marathon. Though. Yeah, they're never coming off. Oh, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, addiction. Sure. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea. Me neither. <laughs> so, um, so everybody knows that uh, I deal with addiction, and uh, I like to come in here and talk a little bit with other folks that are dealing with the same kind of crap. Um, what, uh, what, what do you do to stay away from, uh, some of the problems that uh, you've dealt with before in your life and you're dealing I mean, with on a daily basis? I'm hardwired, you know, um, 
to lean that way. You know, my, my, my dad, his father's, you know, probably all the way back to Oklahoma and Texas, which is where they're from. Um, and because I didn't have, when I look back at some of the crazy stuff and the, the self-destructive behaviors that I had when I was in my, you know, my twenties and stuff, um, I had no, uh, outward, you know, reason. I didn't, I wasn't abused. There was, my childhood was fine. You know, I thought we were going to talk about the abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but cause you know, I, my, I had a, a great childhood. I wasn't missing anything. Right. Right. So, uh, that must mean that there's something else, something else going on. Right. Right. And, um, I, I tried many times to get sober when I was in my twenties. I feel like, and maybe, and maybe I'm sure you could relate to this is that I didn't have enough to lose yet. Uh, that feeling of being invincible and I really didn't, and there were not enough people to hold me accountable. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids yet. I didn't have a job. Or, I, and I was on tour 2,000 miles away. They're not going to know. Right. You know, or if the people in this town or the bar or whatever, girl or whatever, finds out, well, I'm going to leave tomorrow anyway. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that all contributed. Now, um, and what I have learned is that the, the recipe for me I mean, it's all wacky right now because of Corona, you know. Um, and so I think people feel a little more isolated right now anyways. But what I realized for me was, um, yeah, obviously the touring was like a no-go. If I jumped back into, I mean, honestly, if I jumped back into that and I was gone, It'd, it'd be sketchy. It'd it's a slippery slope. Slippery slope. You know, I know like those, you know, Aerosmith and those guys, I think they tour with, with not sponsors, but like people with them. You know, I know like from stories from our manager, Eddie Money had like a handler, you know, someone to keep, keep them out of trouble, yeah. you know. Um, the, the recipe for me has been having people around me that I am accountable to, you know, my dad, my aunt, you know, you, Raymond, you know, people that are, if not a drive away, a phone call away. Um, when I look back, the times that I was at my worst or lowest or really making mistakes all the time is when I was when I had really withdrawn and was isolated in some form or another, whether it right. was I was just going to work and then home, work home, work home, something like that, or physically isolated, I was gone, you know. Um, and then, and not to say that like my the kid my kids saved saved me or whatnot because I definitely there's been some hiccups in the past ten years since my kids were born. But what I noticed was once they were born and I and I was a father, that all of a sudden I had a new sense that I never had before. That was like, oh, okay, I got to be around, right? You know, um, but that just shows you how powerful addiction is. That even given that, there's still times when I drove drunk. Right. Even even though in the back of your mind, you know, now you have this new thing that you can lose, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. You always I always find that, uh, you know, it's uh, I've heard it before from other folks uh, that I lean on in uh, the program that I'm in 
you know, that it's just back there doing push-ups. And if you're, yeah. if you're, um, you know, leaning on your laurels, then right. there's just a matter of time before you're done. Can you, you lean know? on a laurel? I don't know what it is. I think you rest. It's your butt, right? I'm going to rest on it or lean on it or something. You ever poked your laurel? <laughs> they, they always say, um, you know, if you're going to go hang out at the beach, you're probably going to get sand on you. Yeah, sure. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I just, uh, I, I try to, I try to stay around um, people that are positive, people that aren't going to screw me over. Yeah. And uh, that just kind of push me in the right direction. Yeah. Because before I wasn't hanging around those people at all. Yeah. So um, you were under the stage. I was under the stage going la 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 la. Would be creepy if there was someone under there though. <laughs> right. Hey, what are you doing under here? Go bright eyed. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is my spot. <laughs> oh. So, <clears throat> what is your favorite book? And why? Oh man, I knew you were going to ask me. Uh, um, this was tough. I, I didn't. I hadn't read anything like since I was in high school, and then um, just recently, with driving back and forth to LA, I started listening to a ton of audiobooks. So it's like I've read more in the past couple of years than I. Um, I went back and reread Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. I hadn't. I hadn't read it since high school, I guess. Um. I, I, I love that book. Um, it's really short. It's a super raw. And um, I read that people were almost weirded out when he wrote that. Because he kind of wrote, wrote that book and then that was it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of disappeared. How he identified or how he was able to present that 16-year-old kid like so accurately. Um, and in, in the story, the kid, the Holden Caulfield. Have you ever read? Yeah. Sure. Okay. He, he's getting into trouble because he's, he's shrugging off everything in his life, right? And he's recognizing everything as phony. Everybody's phony, phony, mm-hmm. phony, phony. And um, when you read the book, you're realizing, well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's right, you know? And he's kind of sees through the facade of everything. And, you know, he ends up with a prostitute in New York or whatever. And, it, and uh, I think and now, uh, the older I am, I... I appreciate the realness you know especially you know the music business you know you deal with a lot of you could you got to filter your way through to find your people you know there's a lot of people down there that are songwriters puppeteers screenwriters slash gymnast firewalker you know and you gotta send some some trial and error you know i'm never working with that person again you know or um and so when you do find people that are real they do what they say they're gonna do they deliver it when they say, you know, um, that I appreciate that. And I, I, and I recognized that that's what he was rebelling against in that, in that book was, was that phony, you know. What's well, a reason we all have to read it. Yeah. Or we're supposed to read it. Yeah. Some of us do it, some of us don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, maybe I think I did in high school. It was short enough. That's me too. It's, yeah, one, of the, like, it's eh. one of the only books that I actually read in high school. I read that in 1984. Yeah. Because I think they were both under 200 pages maybe. Yeah, as soon as it went over 200, I'm like, no. I'm out, bro. Yeah. I got things to do. Right. And, you know, little Susie, the straight A behind you. You're missing out on a great story. You know? <laughs> so the last question that I ask everybody on this podcast 
has to do with true ambition. Okay. So where you've been, what you've been through, what you've experienced, what is your true ambition in your career? And what is your true ambition in your personal life? Go. My true ambition in my personal life is to um, be a better person all around, physically, uh, mentally. Got that Corona 20. I'm trying to shake right now. You look good, by the way. You lose, Thank you. You lose weight. Smart. I got rid of Corona 50. You got a Corona 50? No, yeah. you didn't. Yeah, I did. It, 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 it took me a year. So I started before COVID hit, but then I kept it going. Wow. Good Lord. That's awesome. Um, well, it's not. To, I, I started out at 333 pounds. So. No, you weren't. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I just listened that Matthew McConaughey Rogan interview that got me all fired up. You know, I listened to that. And then you listen to the one with him and David Goggins. The the seal the ex seal oh yeah amazing yeah did you read it did you read that book uh uh-uh. um it's like been the number one like forever anyways he's gnarly he's like basically his idea is that you have to do something uncomfortable every day right okay I'm not that you know um but just trying to work on myself you know trying to be a better person a better employee um a a better father. Nowadays, with so much going on, I look into the future with social media, the negativity, you know, Jeffrey's got a cell phone, he's 10 now, you know, uh, you know, um, I think, I think it's maybe a little more challenging, gonna be for our generation than it was for our parents, you know, right? I mean, I remember my parents saying, well, just go out, go outside, be back. Come back at dark, come back at dark, you know, like what I would, I never, I would never do that. Right. Never. Um, the flip side is there's no way they're going to be able to get away with half the shit we got away because you can see, you you can track them, you can see where they are on yeah. their phone. Um, but I and I remind him of that. He goes, "Shut up, let me play Fortnite." Uh, <laughs> I you know uh, the career wise, you know I I would be lying if I said that my dream was to be a uh, nurse case manager till I'm, you know, 65 or whatever. Um, It's been, it was great for me to be able to be a nurse and experience that and support my family when it, when they were babies and everything. And now as I transition into this, this uh, music career again, slowly but surely in this new route, um, I, I would, I would love to be able to do that full, full on. You know, um, it's always hard for me when I go down, I'm going down to LA for a week, the second, first week of November to just to record for, for a, a week straight. And it's always, uh, it's always hard mentally to come back. And it's like the next Monday, I've got to open up like my work email and all these emails come in and I have to it almost just like shift my brain from creative mode to like work email mode. And, it, and, and I, and I hate that transition. I hate coming back and, yeah. you know, not that I hate what I'm doing with this job because I'm still helping people in a different way. I just wish that I didn't have to, you know, go through that. Well, it's right there in front of you. Yeah. 
So if you just keep working your ass off and doing what you're doing, because you got a God-given gift that not too many people have. Your hand, your hand up to the camera is reminding me of a really funny story. I'll tell you when you're done. Well, no, go ahead. Okay. We were in Nashville, <clears throat> and we, had our, we were borderline. I'm looking at right at the camera because it's going to all tie in here. Uh, we were borderline like breaking up. We were shooting our second music video in Nashville. It was this huge. He had just shot some Britney Spears video. It was like 80, 80 grand budget, you know, big deal. And we, we had finished shooting for the day, and he, he, I could tell he was messed up. I don't know what he had taken, but his eyes were barely open, and he's sitting at his piano, and he, he call, we were taking our jackets off. Thanks, everybody. It's a wrap. You know, wait, wait, wait. And he calls everybody over, the crew, craft services, everybody, and, and you know me and the rest of the band are like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Please don't. You know, what are you doing? And he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> and like... I'm the lead singer, like, come on, okay? And I didn't pull any of this shit. Like, you know, I was like, all right, what do you, what do you want to do in the video? Yeah. Obviously, I'll be in it more probably because I'm singing. Yeah. But he calls up everybody over and he goes, I haven't told you this before. No. He calls everybody over and he goes, and he goes, all right, so like right here in the song when I hit this note, wait, bring the camera over. And the guy's on the dolly. He's like, bringing it over. <laughs> I'm going to hit the note and then I'm just going to reach out to the camera. And the camera was right here. He goes, I'm going to go like this. <laughs> and then you zoom out. <laughs> and we were Did like, everybody laugh? No. I, I think he, the guy was trying to like appease us and like, and we were just like, oh my God. So I think they filmed it. It didn't end up in the video. God, if you could get a <laughs> copy of that, that would be amazing. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. Cause I was so, I, we also had, we had a photo shoot once and, and uh, we got to work with some awesome creative people in general, whether or not people, you know their name or not. And this guy, David Bergman, amazing photographer. He's Bon Jovi's like in-house photographer, tours with them, does all their stuff. And uh, we were doing a photo shoot and, and oh man, this guy, oh, he's Bon Jovi on the internet. Oh, look at his pictures, it's so cool. And, you know, nervous, you know, okay, we wanna be cool. You know, we were there for two hours. We gotta make sure we get good shots. And he came and his eyes are, you know, half open. I'm like, oh, you know and so we're taking pictures and we get the rough at unedited videos back and his eyes are closed in every single picture so the guy had to go back in and photoshop open eyes <laughs> so if you if you google the band name i won't tell you which photo i'll let people figure it out but there's one of the first couple where we're against like an orange background and you can totally tell <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um Anyways, um, I got to laugh about it now, uh, looking back on that stuff. At the time, it, it, it was terrifying because you, you were this, this constant sense of fragility, like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Please don't, right. please don't ruin this. Please don't ruin it. Right. And almost a cliche now, I look back on it. And, that's, and I think it's something you hear a lot. The more success someone has, sometimes the more destructive they get. Um, it's like they can't take it or, I, I, or they feel they don't deserve it. I don't, I don't know. No, I uh, going through and writing this book right now, I'm looking back on all of the self-destructive things that I did. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, everything that I ruined. Yeah. The, the more successful I got, the more I tried to ruin things. Yeah. It, unbelievable. I mean, just looking back on it now, it was one thing when I went through my 12-step program with my sponsor. Yeah. And looked at everything and like had a new perspective of my life. But now actually going through and writing all of it down. And it's, it's unbelievable 
to look at the self-destructive attitude that I had. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised I'm sitting here talking to you right now. Yeah. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I don't know what that is. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's a place that I had to get to for me to drop to my knees and go, okay. Right. I don't know shit. Right. Right. So let me start over, hit the reset button and try to do this the right you way. You know what though? That your ability to do that, because not everybody can do that. We know that, right? No, a very small percentage. We're the blessed ones. Right. And I've, this individual I'm talking about didn't have the ability to, to do that. Mm-hmm. You did. I think that gift of uh, self-inspection and self-awareness, you have to have a little bit of it to even take that first step. And then once you get down the road in that particular program um, that you are referencing, um, that's one of the awesome gifts that you get and goods on like hyperdrive is that all of a sudden now you've got this ability to do something that 99% of the people driving around out there, road raging, flipping people off, you know, being racist or doing whatever, don't have the ability what, what if to do. What if it is exactly what we talked about before, which is the naivety to think that maybe I can do it. Yeah. Just like owning a company, just like recording music, yeah. just like becoming um, independently wealthy off of recording music that's getting licensed to all these shows. If yeah. It, there's some people that are in my life that I talk to that are just like, I can't do it. Yeah. I cannot yeah, 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 yeah. do it. I, I cannot live a day sober. Right, right. You yeah. Know? And, and my heart breaks for those people because yeah. it's just like, no, no, I'm sitting here right in front of you. Yeah. And there's no reason that I should be able to do it other than the fact that why not me? I think you're right. I, th- I think that's, I think it's part of the same branch of traits. Um, yeah. And you can be too smart too, which is a, another weird one. Never had that. I've been too dumb. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you look at a lot of these guys, uh, you know, some of your like hugely successful people, you know, dropped out of college or they didn't do well. You know, I think Einstein was like horrible at math. I, I know I learned that. Um, and so it's not necessarily, I think you can be too smart and, and or over analytical. Um, okay, well, we can start this bit. No, but I don't know. This might happen. This might happen. This might happen. This might happen. So there is something to having a bit of blinders on. I mean, think about before you started this place, how many variables could you have gone down? Well, there's already... There's these existing companies. Now we can't compete with them. I can't do this. I've never done this before. You know, um, and a lot of people are hyper. I'm analytical, but I don't let that. Um, I don't let that stop me. Right. You know. And thank God. And what I was saying before with my hand <laughs> out like this was that you you got a God given gift that's amazing, which is your voice, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. And a year, two years, three years down the road, we'll do another one of these and talk about it. And uh, we'll come back here and have some more fun. Yep. And uh, I appreciate you being here today. Absolutely, bro. So, uh, Clayton Stroop, True Ambition Podcast. We're signing off. Thanks for being here, bro. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org.
Now, go find your true ambition. And I